everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by author Michael Teague. He's also Professor Emeritus at University of Iowa, uh, Department of Health and Human Physiology. So thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. Thank you. And I'm Meredith Leo DeJano. I am the Marketing Manager for the Health and Human Performance Portfolio. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting topic. I'm really excited to explore um, and it's something that comes up in, in your new 7th edition of Your Health Today. So the Chapter 11, Sexual Health, is what we're going to focus on. So I wanted to start off by just asking you simply, you know, what is the chapter theme for this new edition for Chapter 11? Well, there are a couple of things that um, we wanted to emphasize in Chapter 11. Uh, one was the idea of sexual pleasure. I grew up in the 1960s, and you often hear of that decade as being the decade of free love, but that was for males and that women were really not sharing in the sexual pleasure of the 1960s. They get their emphasis in sexual pleasures in the 1970s, uh, being driven by feminists. And so in the opening in the chapter, we try to deal with the concept of sexual pleasure that is balanced between men and between women. Uh, the second one is really the emphasis on safer sex. Uh, looking at the data that's involved in terms of college men and college women, and then what are the types of safer sex devices that they use. And then the third one uh, was dealing with contemporary issues uh, in sex, like stealthing, uh, like uh, hookups. And then finally, uh, we were dealing with the future of sex, looking at sex from the 1920s until the, uh, not the 1920s, rather, but the 2020 to 2050. That's really, really interesting, and I would like to see if we could comment specifically on uh, college students and safe sex. Uh, yes. Um, to begin this in looking at safe sex, I need to kind of give a preempt in, uh, to the uh, topic uh, when we're talking about females. Females have really come under three different stigmas. Uh, one is that if they enjoy sex, they're often viewed as being sluts. If they don't enjoy sex, they're viewed as being prudes. And that has caused a, um, a lot of abuse of women as being reckless in that, uh, if they are enjoying sex. And that is actually the street name for that has been called slut-shaming. Uh, the second is looking at women as sexual beings, not just as men. And then the third part of the stigmas has been STIs. And when you look at STIs, and they're covered not just in the sexual health chapter, but in the infectious disease chapter in the book, the mean number of uh, time in that, that physicians in their check uh, checkouts deal with STIs is 36 seconds. And that's mainly for men. Women are even less than 36 seconds. So we try to set up what is the importance in that of safe sex or safer sex. Uh, so when you look at college students, and that 50% of college students who are involved in vaginal intercourse do not use a condom. Uh, you look at an increase in anal sex among college men and college women, about 33% of college men that are involved in anal sex and about 24% of college women. And when you talk about anal sex, the risk in that for STIs is a lot higher, particularly for HIV. And for example, uh, for one bout of anal sex, the risk for uh, HIV in that being transmitted is 3.4%. When you look at it, vaginal intercourse, it's less than 0.1%. So in putting all that stuff together is that we're saying that college students are increasing in their uh, 
non-use of condoms, and we're seeing an increase in anal sex, which is a high-risk sex. Um, and then when you look further in terms of condom use, that when you see it from freshman to senior years, as college students go from freshman to their senior years, they're more likely not to use condoms. And the biggest drop-off in condom use is from the freshman year to the sophomore year. And then when you look at men having sex with men, 50% of that of uh, type of sex is without a condom. And so when you look at condoms, uh, they're very effective despite what some people may think. If used properly, and that the error range is only about 1% to 2%. So the question we ask ourselves is condoms are so effective, why aren't college students using them? And the reasons you hear are timing. In other words, it's a disruption in terms of mood, putting on a condom, taking off a condom. Sensation, they're not, they were not very thin, so there was a lack of sensation in sex. The embarrassment of using a condom. And there was a lack of education on how to use condoms properly. For women, you'd have to add that they're concerned about allergy latex allergy to latex. The polyurethane condom does not have that problem, but when you're looking at uh, latex columns, they can cause an allergy. There's also a female sensitivity to non-oxanol-9. That's a spermicide that causes an irritation. And when you have that irritation, it actually increases the risk for HIV. And finally, on condoms, there is a lack of or an insufficient uh, lubricant, which could call painful sex in that in terms of women. So we know why they're not used. Those are just some of the primary or core reasons. And the key was how do we find a, find a condom that college students are more likely to use? And the Bill Gates Foundation entered into that uh, issue a couple of years ago where they were given $100,000 to the development in that of new condoms. There were uh, rewards, awards that were given if they found, them, found one that would be effective. To see how far we've gone in this, we have a lot of novelty condoms that are now on the market trying to increase in the college student use of these condoms. You find studied condoms, which is to increase the sensitivity for women during sex. You find different types of colors in condoms. You find condoms that glow in the dark. You find condoms that have a warming effect. You find condoms that are in a holiday decor for Halloween, for Christmas, for New Year's. You have uh, country symbols like flags being used on condoms. You even have condoms going green in that where they can be tossed into the environment and they'll disintegrate. You have flavored condoms and you even have edible condoms. So as you can see, there have been a lot of efforts trying to design condoms that college students or young adults were more likely to use. One point I want to emphasize here is if you're into novelty condoms, you have to make sure that they're FDA approved. And that and when FDA approved it's in terms of preventing pregnancy in STIs. There's a new condom on the market, it's actually by the United Kingdom, which will show you how far we've gone in terms of condom development. It's called the Icon Smart Condom. Uh, many women in that during vaginal sex will not orgasm, and that's because the clitoris uh, is primarily external. And so the Icon uh, condom is developed in the United Kingdom. And so we think about apps, apps for fitness, apps for sleep. This is really an app for condoms. The Icon condom has a nano chip in it. It's a ring that slips over the condom at the penis base. And it measures the thrust speed, thrust velocity, positions used during sex, girth measurements, duration, skin temperature, and even the amount of calories in that they were expensed during sexual intercourse. 
And finally, they have what's called an LED light. And if it emits a purple light, it means it's detected in STI. And all that information is sent to the smartphone of the user. It costs about $81, one size fits all. It takes one, one hour charge and it lasts for about eight hours. But that gives you an idea that because of the problems with safer sex and the frequency of sex among college students, the efforts that we're trying to make in terms of increasing condom use. Wow, that was really, really interesting. I learned a lot, so thank you. Uh, what are some core and new sexual health issues that you've addressed in this chapter? You some of them. One of the biggest ones, Meredith, is stealthing. And a lot of people don't know what stealthing is. This is that during intercourse and the man is wearing a condom, he takes off the condom without his partner knowing it. And so the question that's being asked, and it's one that we deal with in a life story, is questioning whether this is actually sexual assault. And we, in the courses that we teach at the University of Iowa, we ask our students in that whether they're aware of stealthing and whether it's a problem on our campus. Uh, the biggest issue if it's sexual assault is, does this become a criminal act or also a civil act? And what type of actions will, uh, can colleges or university administrations take, about, take against individuals in that who practice stealthing? Uh, that's one of the bigger issues that has been pretty much ignored. In fact, we didn't deal with stealthing until this edition. The second one is hooking up. Uh, hooking up has been kind of beaten to death over the last two or three editions. So we still talk about hooking up, uh, but we took kind of a different slant on it this time. 28% uh, of college students have 10 or more hooking up episodes during their college career. That's 10 or more. Men are more likely to be involved in hooking ups, and 50% of them find hooking ups as being a positive experience, 26% negative, and 24% are ambivalent. That's a very different perspective for women. Only 26% find it positive, and that 49% see it as a negative experience, and 25% are ambivalent. The reason that's important is when you see hooking up, there is an increased risk for STIs. And there's an increased risk for mental health issues, particularly in that for women. And that's the hooking up is dealt with from a, a different perspective. Uh, linked to hooking up are party things that you're now seeing on college campuses. Uh, University of Iowa has a lot of these, and I'm sure almost all college universities do. These themes include such things as pimps and hoes, politicians and prostitutes, Santa and his reindeers, ho, 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 and superheroes and super sluts. Uh, the reason why it's important to uh, discuss party themes is that alcohol is quite prevalent and there tends to be, a, when you're exposed in these types of parties, a, uh, a thought of no responsibility. So in other words, there's a higher risk uh, for unsafe sex. Yes, those I, are some of the new issues that we talk about. I really appreciate you going into that. I think it's something that a lot of the, you know, colleges and universities around the country are facing. So bring up all really fantastic points. Um, and also you have a major section on the future of sex in this chapter. Would you mind providing a brief overview on that topic? Yes, I think we're the first uh, personal health book to really deal with this. Uh, there's actually an institute on the future of sex. Uh, we used uh, their figure uh, in this edition uh, outlining what they see as the uh, sex advancements from 2020 to 2050. And many of them are rather shocking. 
Uh, what you see is virtual reality uh, taking place. That's with us now, not just in 2020. That's an immersive entertainment technology. We have teledildonics. These are sex toys via, via internet. For example, there are smart vibrators out there now that if you're in a long distance relationship, you can actually program the vibrator and, that, and operate it remotely in that for your partner. There are, there's augmented reality. This is the use of ag avatars in sex. Uh, there's direct neurotrans uh, stimulation. These are, can be skin sensors or tactile fiber suits uh, that go along with virtual reality and goggles so that when you're actually seeing this through virtual reality, you can have a sensation of actual sex. There's affective technology uh, that's being advanced very quickly. And these are shared sexual experiences. In other words, you could be in uh, San Francisco and having a, a long-term sexual in that uh, relationship with a person in Boston, and you can each measure the other person's heart rate, their blood pressure, and their respiration rate, and their skin temperature. That's affective technology, in other words, shared sexual experiences. And finally, the one that I think shocks most people, there are sex robots that are programmed uh, to be developed in that by 2050. So individuals not having sex in that with other humans, but having a sex with robots. And the one thing I've always talked to my, my students about, this is saying there's never, uh, you know, they no sex because there's no headache. Uh, there's no staying over, there's no cuddling that's involved. So the biggest question that we ask in that in the area of uh, these advances in the future of sex is in a box that we call, you make the call. And we're asking the question, do these types of advances in sexual technology, do they help or do they hinder sexual interactions and human interactions? Uh, but that's the main focus in that of the future of sex. Wow, that is so interesting. So we can theoretically have a real-life Westworld, <laughs> that HBO uh, show. <laughs> they actually surveyed people in uh, the United Kingdom and in Tokyo and asked the men how many would be willing to have sex with robots. And surprising to me is that 25% said yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for all of these hot topics. I, had, I learned a lot today, and I'm sure our, our audience did too. And if you like this podcast and you have a theme that you want to explore or suggest to us, we are all ears, so just please be in touch. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. I'm glad to join and discuss the future of sex and sexual health with you, Meredith. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. Okay.